Real leaders leave a legacy. They capture the hearts and minds of their teams. Their origin story puts the safety and well-being of their people first. Great companies ubiquitously have safe yet productive operations. For those companies, safety is an investment, not a cost for the C-suite. It's a real topic of daily focus. This is The Safety Guru with your host, Eric McCroskey, a globally recognized ops and safety guru, public speaker, and author. Are you ready to leave a safety legacy? Your legacy success story begins now. Hi, and welcome to The Safety Guru. Today, I'm extremely excited to have with me Dr. Josh Williams, who's probably one of our favorite guests on the podcast. Uh, He's a great resource in terms of safety culture, safety leadership, uh, observation programs, does a lot of work in this space. Josh, welcome to the show once again. Well, thanks, Eric. Glad to be here. So tell me a little bit again about uh, your background and how you got interested and passionate about safety leadership, safety culture, uh, behavioral side of safety, and so forth. Well, I was in grad school. I was getting a PhD in industrial organizational psychology. And I, honestly, Eric, I was kind of I was kind of bummed out. It just felt very theoretical. And it's a lot of statistical stuff. And I mean, it was, it was good, but it didn't feel practical. And I right. got uh, the chance to work with a guy named uh, Scott Geller, uh, who many of the listeners may know was on the forefront of safety culture and behavior-based safety. He and a guy named Tom Krause, formerly of BST, really started behavior-based safety, at least popularized it. And it was great because we were doing real stuff with real people, and I just uh, immediately uh, enjoyed it. And the mission of two things, one, trying to keep people out of harm's way, but also getting leaders to listen to folks a little more when making decisions, it just felt right. You know, It felt like we were fighting a good fight. And I've been doing it, I guess, for 25-something years now. So. <laughs> well, w- welcome back to the show. So let's let's start a little bit about uh, talking about safety culture, why it matters. And uh, you've authored a great quiz on safety culture. Uh, we're going to talk about some of the themes within it uh, that allows uh, listeners to reflect to see how they're doing around safety culture and should they go deeper in terms of understanding how to drive improvements. But let's start first in terms of why does safety culture matter? Culture is everything. It really is. I'm going to start with a sports analogy here. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not a huge Alabama fan or a Nick Saban fan necessarily, but you've got to respect what he's established at Alabama. He comes in and just completely turned around a proud um, team that had fallen on hard times for, for many years. They were mm-hmm. cycling through different coaches. He came in, and it, 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 was, it was an immediate turnaround, and it stuck. I was watching a game a couple years ago, and I'll make this as quick as I can, but I was just kind of flipping through channels, and I see the score. Alabama beat New Mexico State 62-10. to 10, Wow. And they're doing a press conference, and <laughs> Nick Saban is irate. And he's, he, and he's kind of cantankerous anyway, but, but, but they're asking him questions, and, and he's not happy. And they're, you know, why aren't you happy, Nick? These are his quotes. I went through and, like, and, slow, and, and kind of went back and forth and, and wrote it down almost verbatim, but these were his comments. We didn't play up to our high standards for large parts of the game. We didn't get better this week compared to last week. And when you don't (laughs) get better, you start developing bad habits. And bad habits leads to problems down the road, especially against uh, better opponents. And then his final comment was, you've got to play to your own high standard every day. And that stuck with me because, you know, you know as well as I do, a lot of times, you know, we get called in because you have a rash of injuries and, oh, we've got a problem, we've got to fix it. 
And people get so tied into these injury numbers and injury rates. The flip side is sometimes you could be doing really good on the injury numbers, but complacency is setting in. Normalized deviation is setting in. We haven't seen it yet because nobody's gotten hurt. But the point I'm trying to make is playing to your own standard, having a culture of excellence in everything you do. It doesn't mean you're perfect. It doesn't mean that things aren't going to go wrong. But you play to your standards and not some number whether it went up or down last month, last quarter, this, that, or the other. So um, I hope that makes sense to the listeners. It's just safety is part of who we are and how we operate, and we want to establish that culture of excellence. And it takes effort. It takes vision. It takes looking in the mirror. Safety culture assessments are big in large part because it gives people an opportunity to see where am I good, where am I not so good, what's the plan to get better. I think that's a really important uh, element and really getting a, a good view uh, talking to people of, of what was happening, what are the themes, how do we address it, how do we drive improvement. So tell me about some of the themes in the in the quiz that you authored, because I think it's a it's a good tool for listeners to to have a quick scan to say how's my culture. Not doing an assessment, just doing a quick scan, uh, uh, self reflection in terms of where could I get better. Yeah, so a lot of it's on leadership, um, having that ownership mindset at the at the leadership level. It's not EHS's job. It's everybody's job. But me as a leader, right. I'm setting the tone for everybody. Active participation from employees. You know, everybody talks about employee engagement. That's the big buzzword. What's this big mystery? It's not that much of a mystery. Listen to your people, be responsive, and then advertise improvements based on their feedback. That's how you get involvement. It's not it's not some secret. Uh, it just takes effort and, and energy. Learning culture with close call reporting, making sure incident analysis is system focused and not blame oriented. And then other things like, you know, making sure rules make sense, they're practical, having the right tools and equipment, et cetera. But leadership is really, in my mind, where a lot of it starts. And mm-hmm. if I can, let me just, let me go through a couple of things real quick here, if I could. Yeah. Uh, in terms of leadership competencies, you know, we did a, a bunch of research looking at what is a good, you know, what are good predictors of effective leadership. And in terms of safety leadership, five core competencies come through. I'll go through each one real quick. Sure. First one is active caring. And, of course, my mentor, Scott Geller, used that term active care many years ago uh, in reference to something that happened at ExxonMobil. People in a room, we were asking questions. Why aren't you know, we doing X, Y, and Z? But, no, nobody cares. Nobody cares. Then you started talking about it, that people care, but they weren't doing something about it. So active <laughs> caring is not just being a good guy or a good person. Active caring is going out and, and, and doing something. Quick example, uh, I was working at a steel mill. Not at a, I was consulting for a company <laughs> that was a steel mill, and they had an awful plant manager. Old school, crack the whip, scare people off, rule by fear. It was a mess, and they fired him, which was a smart move. They bring in this new guy named Bob, and Bob's first order of business is to set up meetings with everybody in this facility, and everybody's unhappy. 30-minute meetings called uh, 30 Minutes with Bob, and not a, not a sexy name for the meeting, but it got everybody in there, and he just asked people, what do you need? What can we do? Uh, and it, it was an immediate change in tone, an immediate change in culture, because this guy comes in and says, I want to hear from you. How can we get better? And, and, and so active caring is having the right intentions but doing something about it. Uh, walking the talk, of course, is setting the right example and making sure you're, you know, you're, you're doing what you say you're doing. So for leaders, it's being out in the field, listening to people, talking to people. Something as simple as wearing your PPE. We've, I've seen that too. I'm going to do a couple stories here, Eric. But 
we were at a, at a facility, and this is 20 years ago. I'm, I'm dating myself. But we were working with this company, and they are struggling. I mean, they can't even get PPE. People are fighting over hearing protect, protection, glasses. So we're making some progress. And then they interviewed the, the, the CEO who was talking to like Morley Safer. It was a big show, like 20, 20, 60 minutes, one of those. Anyway, he's in the middle of operations with fork trucks flying around, talking about profits and how they were successful financially with no PPE on, zero, <laughs> during operations. And we're like, oh, my God. And so people revolted. That was it. You know, all the progress, excuse me, with PPE out the window immediately. So walking the talk is, is not just having nice corporate messaging. It's doing what you say you're going to do. Right. Here's another example in terms of leadership. I mean, and listening to your people and how you're treating them. I'm at a big facility that creates these small little bearings mm. uh, for vehicles, I think. I don't even remember now, but this is, again, many years ago. And they had a guy who cuts his head open, and they're doing an incident investigation. And the plant manager is in there, and he asked the guy, why didn't you have your hard hat on? That's a requirement. And the guy says to him, I, th- I thought I did. I had my baseball cap on. I-, I thought it was my heart at. And, it, you know, he's telling the story. And the plan manager stops the, uh, it, quote, investigation, goes on a PA system and says literally to everybody, attention all employees, baseball caps are no longer allowed in the building. You have 10 minutes to return all baseball caps to your vehicles. And effective immediately, they're no longer allowed in the building. You know, something, something. Sure. Anyway, people are like, what, what, you know, what's going on? <laughs> they go to their cars and trucks and whatever, throw their caps in, come back in. They're not happy. They're grumbling about it. And anyway, so the next day they come in and most people, of course, not wearing their caps. But one little section of this big building, this big factory, they they kind of did a mini revolt. They came in, no, no baseball caps, but they had on cowboy hats they had <laughs> like one guy had a football helmet one guy had a, a, a authentic mexican sombrero from tijuana the little tassels come down and there's their job doing their work you know and, and it was their way of saying this isn't right and the plant manager was smart uh and he kind of pumped the brakes on that and they had some discussions and made some some changes but but it kind of goes to show you people don't like being told what to do and oftentimes you have an injury and all of a sudden what do you do okay we're going to retrain the employee we're going to throw a new rule out there and then all of a sudden you got 61 million rules so i think you got to be careful uh with with how we you know how we handle that again watch the knee jerk reactions listen to your people and um just be smart about implementing new things right. and build and live the vision is the next one so you've got a vision you share that vision. People feel that vision. It's legitimate. It's real. It's authentic. Recognition is another part of it. Number four is reward and foster growth. When we provide appreciation and sincere recognition, mm-hmm. two things happen. One, I'm more likely to do it next time. I mean, that's why we give our kids allowances. It's like, you did good. Here's a financial reward. Now, the reward and recognition doesn't have to be money. Appreciation, I think the default recognition it's not a program, although they can be good. Mm-hmm. Default recognition is just appreciation. People are working hard under difficult circumstances. they got a lot going on in their personal lives. There's a lot of stuff happening. When you see people going beyond the call of duty, in particular for safety, mentoring a newer employee, et cetera, a little pat on the back now and again goes a long way. People appreciate being appreciated. So uh, the last one is drive thinking and speaking. Mm-hmm. People that are on the job, doing the job, know what's going on. And if we listen to what they're saying, doesn't mean we're going to do everything they recommend, but people understand what's going on, and, and we've got to drive that 
ground level engagement and participation to be successful. Another quick example, Eric. Yeah. Same steel mill I mentioned earlier had a problem mm-hmm. with lockout tagout. They called it lockout tagout tryout. And the challenge was people weren't doing it. And in a steel mill, if you're not locking something out, you can get hurt or mm-hmm. killed in that area. It's dangerous. So the supervisor's like, okay, well, we're going to, if, if we don't, you know, they start threatening people. One of the employees had a suggestion to get a team together and talk about the issue. Just let's just take a step back. And when they did, they found where you locked out was not in, a, in, in the appropriate place. The rules for lockout tagout were convoluted and hard to understand, Dif- different opinions on how to do it. By simply getting together, they shortened the process for how it was done. They made everything closer to the person to make it easier to save time because they had ridiculous production pressure. But the solution was made from an employee's suggestion. Change the system. Don't just come down with a heavier hammer. So drive thinking and speaking is, is a big part of getting that engagement and, and improving overall uh, safety culture. It makes makes a lot of sense. A, a lot of a lot of focus in terms of leadership uh, as a key lever to drive improvements in culture. What what are some of the other things? Because leadership obviously really is the key key lever to drive change around safety culture. But in some cases, culture can be also legacy. It could be something that that comes from the past. Twenty years ago, a CEO did X, and it's still in the present memory, and it's still shaping the behaviors, the choices. Uh, and the attitudes of people. This episode of the Safety Guru Podcast is brought to you by Propolo Consulting, the leading safety and safety culture advisory firm. Whether you are looking to assess your safety culture, develop strategies to level up your safety performance, introduce human performance capabilities, re-energize your BBS program, enhance supervisory safety capabilities, or introduce unique safety leadership training and talent solutions, Propolo has you covered. Visit us at propolo.com. 100%. And first thing I'll say is system. So if you want to look at it holistically, big picture, if you're trying to get um, more predictable results with your incident rates, so it doesn't fluctuate out of control, if you want to get more control over that, and and also improve SIF prevention, three things to look at. One, mindsets, attitudes. Number two, your behavior, what people are doing. Mm-hmm. Number three is the system. And for many years, particularly in the halcyon days of BBS, the system was taking a back seat. Sure. And if we don't focus on the system, we have problems. So systems are things like when things go wrong, our first response should be, where did the system fail? Don't blame somebody. Where did the system fail? It could be excessive time pressure. It could be, we don't have enough people for this job. It could be we don't have the right tools and equipment readily available to do it. It could be we got a bunch of boring online training when I first hired on. I don't remember any of it, and now mm-hmm. I'm throwing the wolves out there. Those system factors are big, and I think organizational leaders are well-served to focus on tightening up those systems. As the close call reporting, behavior-based safety, these are systems. And when the systems are running smoothly and we're getting ongoing communication up and down the organization, Everything else works better. And by the way, it's easier for leaders to hold people accountable. You know, we mm-hmm. talk about positive accountability. You want it, you don't want to be heavy-handed, but you also can go too far the other way and let everything slide. And when your, your standards drop, 
the injuries pop up too. My, my point on that is, as a leader, if I know my systems are tight and most people are doing the right thing, when you have outliers that are repeatedly not doing the right thing or doing egregious things, it's easier to punish, quite frankly, because we understand we've got our system. It's not the system that's the challenge. We've got that figured out. So I think system factors are a big, <clears throat> a big, big part of it. I would say on the other side, too, on the behavior side, we know National Safety Council, 95% of all injuries do in part to at-risk behavior. That doesn't mean blame people now, but it just mm-hmm. means risky actions. You're increasing the probability of something going wrong, basically. And if we can if we can minimize risky behavior, and that can be done in, in, in a lot of ways. One, engage people more. Behavior-based safety I just mentioned. We did a study with NIOSH many years ago. We did, so picture this, Eric. Me and a bunch of other grad students are going into this environment doing training with these guys looking at us like, who are, who are you, youngsters? We're going in doing this training with two different groups. And they're not neither one is real happy. But we do our training, and then we, we implement a behavior-based safety process. So you've got, if you're familiar with behavior-based safety, yep. uh, folks, the cards, you know, you've got various things like proper tool and equipment, body position, things like that. Anyway, one group was given a card and said, go use it. The other group, we worked with them to create their own card, how it was going to be used, when it was going to be used, where it was going to be used. Uh, That group that had their own card that they created themselves, we called it the ownership group, used their card seven times more. Seven times. And that's a huge, in behavioral science, that's a huge number. We were shocked. If we had gotten double, we would have fell out of our seats. Seven times more said very clearly, employee engagement matters. And, and I think people want to get more involved and they want to speak up with each other more too. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the surveys I used to use years ago, one of the questions is, should you tell somebody if somebody if, if they're being risky? 90% of people are saying, yeah, you should tell them. The next <laughs> question on the survey is, do you do it? And it was like 60-something percent. Wow. So to me, that's an eye-opener too. I want to get involved, but our culture is, is macho. You do your thing, I do my thing. Don't tell me how to do my job, all that nonsense. So we want to do it, and sometimes we're reluctant to speak up. So I think part of that learning culture we talked about, too, is making it acceptable and normal mm-hmm. for employees to speak up with each other. It doesn't have to be a supervisor or safety uh, when they see something that doesn't quite feel right. So th- those are just a couple thoughts there. Make sure we, we don't get focused on one thing. Focus on attitudes and behaviors and the system. I love that. So, so uh, our safety culture... Is, uh, is something that's widely discussed and accepted. How, how do you measure it the right way? <laughs> the wrong way is give somebody a 150-item survey and say, <laughs> everybody go fill it out. That's the wrong way. Surveys are good, but they're, they're, they're a good tool, but they're only one tool out of many. So, you know, of course, when we do our assessments, we, we focus on talking to people, interviewing people, whether it's in groups, whether it's one-on-one, but we've got questions that we're asking on important things like learning culture and leadership, things like that. But, but pe- people will tell you. And we use a survey to supplement that. But that gives us an overall picture. You know, when we do it, we've got, our, as you know, we've got our maturity model. And it goes from disengaged to citizen. And there's various steps in between. But it, it shows you where you are. Where is your starting point? What's your baseline? Because, you know, if you're trying to get better, you got to know where you stand. And mm-hmm. those, those assessments do a good job of that. And it also affects what you can do. So if you're at, at the at the if your maturity is low, 
you don't want to be trying to shoot the moon doing all kinds of crazy stuff. You need the basic foundational stuff to try to get better. If you're further along, you're more advanced, you can start doing things like human performance, uh, or we call it BHOP, Behavioral Safety and Human Performance. Those kind of things are more achievable if you're further along uh, down the road. So those assessments are really good. And, and the, the other thing I'll say on that too, and I've seen this with other organizations that kind of do what we do, is sometimes that's the end of it. Here's your 165-page report. Enjoy <laughs> it. Call us if you have any questions. We're here for you. And that's it. You know, of course, we, we do planning. I mean, that's just that, all that information you get. is All that is 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 ammunition for your plan. Like, what are we going to do? And that's where you get groups together. We recommend getting hourly folks involved, field folks involved, union folks involved. We've got a union at some levels. And we plan it out. All right, so this, these, this is good. Got to keep doing that. This is not good. Got to get better. What are we going to do? And line it all out. And sometimes, as you know, we'll do five-year plans with it. We, right. It could be simple. It could be complicated. But what are we going to do? What are the three, four big things we got to get done? Who's going to do it? When are we going to do it? Where do we need to help? What potential resistance are there? And by lining everything out very specifically, going back to Nick Saban, he didn't roll into uh, you know College Station to play Texas A&M winging it. You know, like, all right, well, <laughs> let's see what works here. You know, they've got a plan. And, and they've got contingency plans if plan A is not working. So part of the preparation for getting better is understand where you're at and get a smart strategic plan moving forward. A couple of things uh, just come to mind based on what you just shared. So one for me is it's not a safety culture assessment if you don't have a combination of surveys with interviews and focus groups, uh, kicking the tires in terms of how the work gets done uh, at a a site level, and then finally also looking at artifact reviews, looking at how is a culture shaped by system items. And any thoughts on that? Because to me, that's the the part is a lot of people do one, one part of this and think it's a safety culture assessment. But it's it's only by looking at all those three elements can you really assess a culture in my mind. One hundred percent. And part of that too is talking to executives. Uh, sometimes mm. you know there's a heavy focus on on field employees, which is good. But talk, exec, you know we'll do system assessments with executives. Like we'll do artifact reviews. You know you say close call reporting is good. Let's see. Let, you know show us what you're doing. And it's it's it's. I don't mean that to be challenging, but sometimes reality and and, and perceptions aren't always the same. So I think by, by you know speaking more to executives and and getting some tangibles in terms of stuff that you're doing also gives you a more complete picture. Yeah, the other part that drives me drives me bonkers when we're talking about surveys is is an obsession with benchmarking. I want to compare myself with everybody else in my industry, um, and, and I get that. For example, in employee engagement surveys, but because of the nature of surveys in uh, safety culture, I'm not saying not there's no value in it, but my my challenge is, is too often I've seen a company that has lower maturity from a safety culture standpoint have higher scores uh, and have really good maybe have lower scores because as you get better, you start becoming more self-critical. And if you know very little about what you could look like or should look like, you might look very positive. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I mean, I think benchmarking is, an, is a nice thing to, to, to have, but people take way too much faith in that. Like you said, I've seen the same thing. Some awful organization they get a bunch of vests and they're like, Oh my God, they care about us. You know, that you should have had vests 15 years ago, man. You know? Um, so, so they, yeah, they, it can be misleading. And sometimes the really, really good organizations are more critical because they have the, the mindset of, you know, excellence. 
and they may rate themselves lower than they really are. So, so I, I get your point there. Um, I, I think it's a nice to have, but I'm more interested, frankly, in you know various iterations of the survey. Like yeah. when you know five years ago we were here, two exactly. years ago we were here, and I think that's something that's smart too. And and uh, is is for for companies. It's not a one and done deal. You do an assessment. See how much you've progressed. Do, do another one two, three years later. Doesn't have to be as intense. It can be on a, on, a, on a smaller scale. But that to me is more interesting. And also comparisons between groups. Whether mm. so, for instance, yeah. you know, managers are telling us this, employees are telling us something different, and the yeah. scores on the survey may be quite different. Um, sometimes the higher you go, well, anyway. So so that's one issue. And also different groups. Maintenance is saying this. Operations is saying that. And so the the scores are interesting when they're when they're different but also the comments from the interviews and the focus groups. So, uh, I, I, again, I think the best benchmarking is within your own organization and also from time one to time two to time three. And and I think the points you bring there I think are really important because it's it's looking at even between group differences. You have a overall culture, but you could have a microculture within a particular environment. We had a, a somebody on the on the podcast that had a, a serious injury, and he came from an organization that had, by all accounts, a fairly uh, – fairly mature safety culture, but in his specific area, um, there was a lot of challenges from a leadership standpoint, and people showed up in a very, very different, non-congruent way with the rest of the organization. So understanding those differences, like you said, I think is is incredibly important. The other element is longitudinally understanding how we're shifting. I love pulse surveys um, as an indicator of how we're making progress, even with higher frequency. So as you're driving improvements to check our is it landing with employees? Are we actually seeing the impact? If I'm doing leadership training, am I feeling my leader showing up in a different way? A hundred percent. And that's hard. It, it if is. If I can add one thing real quick, Eric, too, in terms of how our leaders showing up, you know, we do executive coaching, I think is a big one. And, and I, I just, from experience, um, when we're able to get into higher levels of the organization, and talk to people at the executive level, it's different. And it doesn't mean it's always easy, but that is that sets the tone. And, and again, I think sometimes with assessments in particular, we miss the mark because we only, we talk to the you know EHS director, which is a very important position. But there's a lot of things that are also happening at the C-suite level that we need to get, we need to, we, we need to address. So I think the, the executive coaching, when it's paired with assessment type work, is really good because you've got a strategic plan. You need help from the top to get right. there. I don't care who you are. So that, that's something I think to consider as well. And it also relates back to your story when you're talking about Bob uh, who came in. To me is is when a new leader comes in and needs to show change, it's very important to have a good strategy around what signals are you going to share, right? Because we talked about how culture can be uh, based on something that happened 20 years ago uh, in the organization that's still in the present memory. So how does a leader come in and send some very intentional signals to show things have changed? I, I am going to show up differently or we're going to show up differently. 100%. So great place to start. I, I love your quiz, ratemysafetyculture.com. So that's a website. No gimmicks, no catches, uh, completely anonymous. Uh, it just allows you to ask a couple of questions, 15 questions in, in total, to give you a bit of a sense in terms of where you're at. Should you consider some improvements? What are some of the areas of focus? So rate mysafetyculture.com. It's definitely not a safety culture assessment. It's just a personal self-reflection to see how's my organization doing. 
Um, so encourage people to, to go and visit that website, try it out, get a bit of uh, simple insights. And uh, Josh, I'm sure they can always reach out to you if, if they want to have more conversations around what does it mean? How do I make improvements? Uh, how do I know where I'm at? 100%. And I'll give you more sports analogies and lengthy <laughs> stories. So Josh, thank you so much for joining us once again. I really appreciate you uh, sharing your wisdom around safety leadership, safety culture. And again, I recommend anybody to go to the website, ratemysafetyculture.com. No gimmicks, just a good self-reflection quiz to say, how am I doing? Uh, you'll find links as well to uh, all sorts of other um, quizzes that Josh has authored that help you look at different facets of safety culture, safety leadership, learning organizations, and so forth uh, to, to see how you're doing. Uh, so once again, thank you so much, Josh, for joining me today. My pleasure, Eric. Thank you. Like what we do? Share this on your socials and tell everyone. Thank you for listening to The Safety Guru on C-Suite Radio. Leave a legacy. Distinguish yourself from the pack. Grow your success. Capture the hearts and minds of your teams. Elevate your safety. Like every successful athlete, top leaders continuously invest in their safety leadership with an expert coach to boost safety performance. Begin your journey at execsafetycoach.com. Come back in two weeks for the next episode with your host, Eric Makrowski. This podcast is powered by Propolo Consulting.